Welcome to the Aligned Influence Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs and innovators about what it means to live on purpose. My name is Kyle Bowe. I'm an entrepreneur passionate about helping people live more meaningful, fulfilling, and purpose-driven lives. clicked on it okay now i got it yeah it said that i had it requested from you but it looks like i guess that happened um brother i really appreciate you coming on today man i, I appreciate your time i know it's valuable and i'm just i've been looking forward to this so my absolute pleasure kyle yeah man um what i'm curious about is how you go from being a full-time emt uh, and bartending at night to where you're at now, right? To founding the company, Make More Marbles, and, and really creating a huge impact in the world, right? It, it seems like a huge, huge shift. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So when I was an EMT and bartending, I was probably 18 to 22 in that range. Um, I had been in college, like a lot of people go to college. I got a degree in biology, Bachelor of Science, from a university called Binghamton. And I wanted to be a doctor. I want to be Dr. Hart, the cardiologist. And that's right. a terrible <laughs> idea to base your career path off a joke that you could tell now. But right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good. Where my head was at at the time. <laughs> For so, sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I was at. And then I came out of school and I remember, you know, shotgunning my resume, like 200 different th- um, firms about working in the science field. I wanted to be a researcher and just do something right. with a degree. I uh, got no responses whatsoever. Actually, one response where I went in for the interview and they sat me down and said, okay, well, I don't see where you got your PhD on your resume. Can you tell us about that? I'm like, I don't have a PhD, but uh, right. if I did, what would I get paid to start? And they're like, oh, we start our PhDs at 35000 a year. So I'm like, hang on, wait a second. You want me to go to seven more years of school and write a book and get $250,000 in debt just so you can pay me thirty five grand a year? I'll stick yeah. to bartending. So I for stayed sure. there for like a year. Um, and I was working in a really busy bar in New York, so we we're making good money. And it was so busy because every night of the week we'd have the like the Goldman guys and the Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and all these different bankers would come in and bring all their clients and like throw down their their card for like three grand on a Tuesday and write twenty percent on the dotted line. So we'd make right. a lot of money. I think I cleared like a hundred k that year as a bartender. And then the financial crisis happened, as you know, right. uh, and all those banks kind of went under right away. So I was left with a bunch of tourists and didn't know how to tip. And pretty soon my income went from like four or 500 a night to like hundred a night and I couldn't afford my rent anymore. And it was really uh, struggling. So I spent like two weeks pounding on the pavement going up and down, uh, all over New York city where I lived at the time. I had to downsize, move up to Harlem. Uh, I was living in midtown before that and just, yeah, I was really struggling with burning through my savings and I jumped into, um, I remember at the very end of that search, I couldn't find a job, couldn't find a job. I mean, like nobody could find a job. It was rough during that time. I ended up cold calling this firm called E1 Asset Management on Wall Street. And I went into the office and I talked to the senior broker who, to the life of me, I can't even remember the guy's name now, but he seemed to like me and he wanted to hire me. And it's like, you're going to make eight bucks an hour and you're going to sit in this room and you're going to make phone calls all day. Okay. But I'll train you to be a broker. I'm like, all right sounds good. Let's do that. Uh, and I hedged my bets. I actually got my real estate license at night. So I was going to night school for real estate and daytime I was learning wall street. So I was literally on wall street and doing that thing, a little boiler room type style and making all these phone calls and getting hung up on every single time, like a thousand calls a day. I would get up at four in the morning, take the two train down from Harlem to wall street 
jump on the phones by six. I would make calls till about 12. I would take a break for lunch, about half an hour, go get a new tie because I always spill coffee on it. And we're like four bucks down the street. Right. <laughs> I would end up, uh, you know, staying through the afternoon, calling America. You'd call Britain in the morning, America in the, in the afternoon, and people would stay and call like Australia and Asia in the, in the evening. I ended up doing my real estate license instead. Right. So I didn't love that job. I stayed there for about a month. Um, just wasn't a good fit for me it was it wasn't what I wanted at the time, but it kind of piqued my interest in, in, you know, finance and real estate and all that good right. stuff. Uh, the real estate gig though took off. I actually did really well with that. I got recruited at a company called Bond New York. I'm still friends with the owners to this day. Uh, the lady who hired me actually works, uh, she's like the head of leasing for one of Trump's properties now. So, you know, I've kept in touch with these people over the years and I, did let's see two years there i got five promotions and at the end of those five promotions i had like six people working under me and it was all about marketing and sales like and it was in the rough time you know 2008 to 2010 um there wasn't a lot of real estate transactions happening it was all like no fee owner pays month commission you know instead of normal 15 percent that the client would pay that we were getting uh so you know i managed to grind it out and i kept getting promoted and they kept moving me up and they really liked me uh and at the end of that, uh, I was just kind of going along and I think it was May of 2010. It was Mother's Day, so I remember. And I was heading back to see my mom out in Long Island where she lived. And I got a phone call that from a, rec- a number I didn't recognize and they said they found my father and he passed away. So that kind of changed my whole uh, lifestyle a little bit. I kind of you know, looked at that as an impetus to do something different. And, you know, when you're 24 and you lose your dad, who's 61, you're like, all right, I'm not going to live forever, maybe. So I started to take my health a little more seriously. I started to pay attention to how hard I was working, what I was eating, and and just little shifts started to happen. So it wasn't anything overnight, but like, you know, I was probably picking up another habit every month or so, just kind of slowly shifting things. Like I started uh, doing this low carb diet that Tim Ferriss talks about, who I met a few years prior, ended up spending like 10 days in Africa with him. That comes later. Um... I ended up uh, changing a lot of the ways that I, I viewed work and started learning different skills, like how to trade stocks and joined a bunch of courses on that. And I actually got decently okay with it. And, you know, I was able to uh, parlay that into a few other things happened. I joined a mastermind called the society that I was in for three years and got in the best shit in my life there and, and met so many great people there. Um, one of the members actually was this really wealthy guy. He owned like the third largest rolling paper company in the world. And he, you know, it kind of opened my eyes to the abundance because he would do things like, Hey Brad, I got a problem. Okay. Well, you've always been really generous with me, Josh. What can I do for you? Right. Says, I have too many fucking airline miles on my American Express black card. I spent 250 K a month <laughs> and they keep accumulating and I can't spend them as fast as I accumulate them. So I'm like, well, what do you, that sounds like a high quality problem. Josh. Right, yeah. what's, what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, take 300,000 and do whatever you want. Right. All right. Like, I guess. Well, I no what does that mean? He's like, that's 10 first class tickets wherever you want to go. Yeah. All right. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, I'll do that. And I took uh, those tickets and I went around Canada and the U S and visited everybody in the mastermind. I went and visited him. He lives in Vancouver. Oh, super cool. And uh, yeah, it was just a really cool thing that like opened my eyes to like what it could be like. You know? Right. For sure. That that's his his problem is that he has too many miles. And he's like, man, I got this huge issue. Yeah. I, need, I need you to help me out. Can anybody help me with this? Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm I'm suffering through ten first class flights. I need help with that. Yeah, yeah. So um, he he had a funny saying. He used to say, "I'm not afraid to fly, but I'm afraid to fly coach." 
He's yeah. Fun. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So yeah, still friends with him to this day. And yeah, it just kind of went on like that and things would happen and I'd go to different places and have some really great experiences. And through this whole time, I'm just learning more and more about myself and investing more in like personal development. And um, it ended up being, I think I was in that for like three years. During that time, I launched my hedge fund, which did really well. We had like 106% return in the year that we launched it. Uh, so that's double the S&P, I'm sorry, quadruple the S&P um, doubling up on the year for our investors, but it was really just not great work for me. I didn't run right. it. I was behind a computer a lot. Uh, we had a month where we made like a million and forty thousand dollars in profit. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was like big money and big swings, and you know we'd be up or down two, three hundred thousand dollars a day. Sure. And when it was going really well, I would get wire transfers in the middle of the night in my account. I would get a notification or wake up. It'd be like, there's $85,000 in your account now. I'm like, who the fuck sent me this money? You know, right. it just panic. It was crazy. Like people right. trying to find money from their wives and stick it in my, my fund and all this stuff. You know, it would come in through Switzerland or some weird bank account. Right. Like, weird. Just, yeah, it was a very strange uh, time in my life. And the people I was hanging around were very different than what I'd done before. And um, I had a mentor who was like a hundred millionaire. Uh, huh. who I just did not want his life. You know, right. he had been banking for 20 years and then blew out like a hundred million dollars and ended up investing really well and, and doing really well. I just didn't want, I didn't want that. Like it wasn't interesting to me. So like long because of long hours or because of the, no, he didn't have to work anymore. It's just the way he lived his life. I just wasn't like the values weren't aligned. I, just I get you. Okay. My heart that there wasn't like, I, I won't talk as it casts versions on anybody, but sure, yeah. you know, just the way he treated women and the way that, um, I get you. you know, he kind of, you know, treated his family and just, just pieces of that. I'm like, no, this isn't, this is not me. Right. Right. For sure. So God, this is probably 2014, 2015. Now I've wound down the fund. I no longer wanted to be a hedge fund guy. Um, wrote everybody a big check. Everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? You should keep it. And all this. I was just, it's, I'm done. I, I don't know what's next, but I'm done. Right. That's when the make more marbles thing started to come about because I had experienced what it was like for all the hungry, hungry hippos to be ground for all the marbles. Right. And when you're in trading or real estate, it's kind of a zero sum game, you know, and every one of those transactions, there's, there's only so much room. There's a winner and a loser. And you know, when the transaction is made, you don't know who is who beforehand or after, but the market will determine that. Right. Uh, I wanted to be more in the cycle of where value creation happens. Right. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help people actually create something out of nothing and that's what I was thinking. I'm like, well, why don't we have to grab for all the marbles? Why don't we just make more? And that's how my brand was born. Right. I love that. So moving on, I had a really horrible breakup where it turned out uh, the person I was dating was actually cheating on me with the person she ended up marrying, which is great for them, but was shitty for me at the time. Right. Um, and I was just, I remember being sick and just sick of myself and just really like feeling terrible. I had quit drinking 18 months prior, went off the rails, came back to this dear John letter. It's just a knife in the gut, you know, that whole thing. So for like two, three months, I'm, I'm out of sorts and I was in so much pain. I, I had bought a ticket to Tony Robbins mm. and I ended up going and, and that really blew me open, man. Like seeing Tony do his thing and just all the pieces of the puzzle I didn't have before. And people have been telling me to go to Tony Robbins for years. It was, it wasn't until I was in that much pain that I, I actually considered it and right. made it a priority. You know, I think I had his book on the, on the thing for like eight years or something before that unlimited power. And I just had to glance through it, but I hadn't really read it. So I got really big into Tony. I did all his programs. I've done like 13 events. Now I started bringing people to the events. Yeah, you bring, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I brought over 100 people to Tony Robbins events, which is great. Now, um, fast forwarding to now, we're actually partnered up on this new launch you're doing with mastermind.com, which is really Red. exciting. Uh, and if anybody's interested in checking that out, it's uh, mrbls.co slash mastermind now uh, with a capital M and a capital N. Cool. Uh, so yeah, if you want to check that out, you're more than welcome. It's going to be really cool. And, and we're talking about doing something even more intimately um, above me on just promotion. So that's exciting. And I've got my own program to help people build masterminds. Uh, I've done a bunch of different things with crypto and, and courses and coaching and consulting over the years, but I really just keep coming back to this idea of like, what's the one thing I'm the best at in the world of all the things I've ever tried and masterminds are it, man. Like I, I built just a, a little local one just to help out local entrepreneurs. Cause I just hire that, like no support support groups or people come and kvetch about their problems. They don't really take action towards them. I hate small talk. Right. I just wanted a scenario, you know, where I could equal parts help people and like sarcastically fuck with them. That was a lot of fun for me. You know? <laughs> that, that speaks to my sensibilities. It's right, really- for sure. So I have these groups now and there's like 350 members in the, in the Facebook group. 20, 25 show up. We do it twice a week now where we just mastermind for two hours. And people come away with insane breakthroughs because most people uh, don't have that kind of support. You know, they don't have that clarity. They don't have that accountability. They don't have that trusted network of people who can really show them and shine a light on what they're, they're saying and doing. And then finally you get the leverage uh, in the group too. You know, you can, you can do challenges and bets with people and, you know, right. keep accountable to the fact that you said, Hey, you were going to do this by then. And we put money up and you know, all that kind of stuff too. So right. they, they do the thing, they get the money back. If not, they, it goes to charity. So that's been really effective in serving the community and, uh, people really love it. So I'm going to keep doing that. We're actually launching a podcast around that idea too. Nice. And that's what I'm up to. I got a book coming out, same deal. It's called the eight minute masterminds. Uh, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but it should be out soon. Um, so if you see it on the shelves, grab it. Uh, it's going to be the eight minute mastermind, how to add five, I'm sorry, how to add hundred K to your business in five, 10 hours a month, travel anywhere for free and solve any problem. Nice. And it's definitely an understatement to say that we can do all those things. Right. So I'm, I'm curious, why do you think there's such a lack of that and there's such a need for these communities of support and accountability and, and why are people struggling with that or struggling to create or find that in their lives to begin with? Well, I think like anything, it's a, it's part of a, part of it's a knowledge issue. Half the people I talk to don't know what a mastermind is. And there's a reason right. because they're typically reserved for wealthy business owners. Right. You know, people who are making 100K, 200K, 500K a year, they want to be in a room with earners that are doing much more than them. There's typically like a mastermind leader and then there's people in the group and that's the way it's always been. But I think the the process, the eight minute process that I've kind of perfected over the years is really powerful just to take out and you can do it with anybody. It doesn't have to be a big thing. And my vision for the world and what I'd like to leave as legacy is just people running these local masterminds all over. And there's plenty of places people can do it. And it's done more in a, you know, very focused clear, uh, way where you can get 20 people through in two hours. Right. You know, it's not like, you know, we just keep it tight and keep it on point. The facilitator's sharp. People in the room are sharp and it just grows from there. For sure. So I want to, I want to back up a little bit. Um, earlier you said that you started to, you know, did a lot of work in the realm of like personal development and that you started to make some massive shifts. And then you mentioned launching your hedge fund. I'm curious what, the biggest shift you made during that time was that then led you to launching 
uh, what was a, at least financially, a, a successful uh, hedge fund? Yeah. So for me, um, I had been a trader, like I mentioned, for a couple of years before that. And I got an opportunity to write an article in Forbes about 3D printing, which was all the rage at the time. I had met Richard Branson and told him about it. He was excited about it. I told that story to somebody who had a column. They said, did you write about that in my column? I said, okay. So I read the article uh, and I sent it to Tim, who I'd spent time with before, read. tweeted about the article. Oh, wow. So everybody in Silicon Valley read it. It got read like 300,000 times. Oh, and wow. As a result of that, the stock prices started to go to fucking Pluto in 3D <laughs> Like they 10 X in 18 months. So a few months after that, you know, this people are making money hand over fist. Somebody reaches out to me and says, Hey man, I read your article in Forbes, uh, as a friend of mine, you know, I, I like paid for my wedding with that one sock that you mentioned. And I'm like, that's cool. He's like, how do I give you money to manage? I'm like money to manage. I don't know. Like that's not really what I do. So I was like, well, that's interesting. Excuse me. I think I have hiccups here. <laughs> you're fine man so uh money to manage i had no idea what that was like so right. i go to some friends of mine that would know about that kind of stuff I'm like oh it's easy you set up a limited liability partnership or lp or lp or limited partnership um you know get a gp get you know here's the reg you know d laws and the blue sky laws and all these different laws that you need here's an accountant here's a lawyer it's this much to set up you can expense it to the fund over time i'm like it's actually not that hard. Like I don't need a license or anything. Nope. If people want to huh. give you money to manage, you can start a hedge fund. I'm like, I guess oh, I'll start cool. a hedge fund. Right. It seemed like a really cool idea. And it didn't really get exciting to me until I just started pitching people and getting better at pitching people. Right. Like, yeah. I want to, I want to invest. Okay, cool. Here's, here's this much. Here's that much, you know? And at first it was like small amounts, like 10 K 15 K 20 K 25 K. But eventually people were investing like you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh. Really cool. um, so we started it in 2012, launched it in 2013. 2013, we did 106% and uh, the rest is history. Oh, wow. So you actually, so you had like no intention of starting it whatsoever, right? It's just no, like, it just kind of came to me. It was just one of those things where it's like, you know, these people want me to manage their money. I'm like, well, okay, I could do that. Um, I didn't understand what the vehicle was to do that. Right. And I built one. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. Um, one of the terms that you said earlier uh, was abundance. Um, and I would love to hear your perspective on what abundance is because so often I think abundance sounds like one of these really ethereal, really spiritual terms, but I would love to hear your perspective on what it is, especially because you have this very like finance, very pragmatic driven background. I'd love to hear what you think abundance is or how that looks or, you know, how to sure. understand that. So that's a great question. I mean, it means what you think it means to you, right? So right. For me, it means, uh, it's like a perception, really. It's like mm -hmm. zooming out and seeing just how vast and unbelievably um, there's just so many resources out there. Right. So, you know, and the universe, if if you study like quantum physics and just physics in general, yeah. is expanding in every direction endlessly. Constantly. Billions of stars and galaxies and trillions of different things going on that are just like this little speck of dust that we live on. Um, so when you think about abundance, like there's so much out there, right? Right. We haven't even tapped into you know, any reasonable percentage of it, like 0. 0.00001, you know, to the, to the negative 10th percent of it. Right. Right. And it's, it's crazy to think that anybody could walk around with this idea of like, Oh, yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough money and not enough love. None of this. It's like, you are fucking stardust. Like, right. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> that the universe is made of. 
right. part of the biggest, craziest thing that you'll never understand. And to be worried about your bills and worried about money and worried about all the shit, like there's a way to go make more money. You just do right. it. Right. You learn a little bit and you, you iterate and you do it more. And you know, I'm still learning shit. You know, oh, for I, sure. I do pretty well, but I'm still learning shit. And so are the people around me and we all make each other better. But if you turn yourself off to that flow, you stop growing. And right. if you stop growing, you stop giving. If you stop giving, you stop growing. It's, it's not that virtuous cycle. So it's just getting out of your own shit and realizing that you're here to grow and you're here to give. And yes, growth requires pain, but pain isn't that painful, especially if you can be grateful for it. Right. Because it's your pain that teaches you the lessons you need in order to grow and therefore give more and thereby have more. Right. It doesn't happen the other way around. You know, you right. can't expect to have in an orderly universe anything without giving first. Right. But it seems people always want to put it the other way around, right? We want to have first and then we go, okay, once I have it, I'll give it, right? Because I feel like we, we think that we can only start to give things when we have something to give, which then kind of shifts us towards this idea that like we need to have material possessions in order to like give things to other people. Yeah, and I, I can't say that I've ever had a conversation with God about how you design the universe, but it seems <laughs> to make sense in the sense that like, you know, the if I was God and I wanted to experience what I created, you know, right. if I'm everything all the time, omnipotent, omniscient, I, I understand and know everything there is to know. Well, then how could I have contrast? Right. Unless I were to limit myself in some way in order to perceive that contrast. Right. So in the Bible, they talk about, and I'm not super religious, but these are good stories and metaphors uh, yeah. a lot of relate to, um, you know, in the Bible, they talk about God created us in his image. Well, if that's true and, and he's a creator, then we're creators, right. maybe on a smaller scale. Maybe we're more limited. Maybe we're more in this realm of duality. Maybe we see black and white. Maybe we see all these different things that, you know, these paradoxes and dichotomies of being alive that uh, an omniscient, omnipotent, all-seeing, all-knowing being would not. Hmm. And that's the way that he can or she or it can understand itself is to have this limited experience of the vastness of reality. Right. And thereby, okay, so if we're part god and we're part monkey and we're part lizard you know which one are you choosing at any given time and for me i recognize that i'm all those things right and i try to live as much as possible up in the god piece you know right and connect it into that divine because it feels better and i think for our sure. feelings are really important to pay attention to because feelings are a vibrational energy and if your vibe attracts your tribe then they're going to attract the right people in your life if your vibe attracts abundance well, then you're going to be on that re that resonance, that frequency. Right. And this is all stuff that it can't really be proven, although some pieces can. But if you look at like quantum physics, you know, you start to see quantum entanglements. You start to see how, you know, thoughts can start to affect things in your environment, how quarks and gluons and all these different bits of matter uh, work with each other without any sort of um, connection to one another from... Right eons away and, and, you know, change and, and affect one another's states. It's pretty wild. So it's not that crazy to think that you feeling a certain way versus another way, raising your vibration or, or your, your output could in fact affect things in the universe. You know, I don't, I don't see why that's so implausible. Right. Most of the shit, like what we know is so little. Like it's for sure. <laughs> what we think we know is so vast, but what we really know in the grand scheme of things is fucking nothing. Right. There's the things that we know that we know. There's the things that we don't know that we know. And then there's this whole other pile of shit that we don't know that we don't know. Right. So for you to say anything is out of bounds, it's crazy. 
And right. the only way to know for sure is to test it. If you get the same result over and over again in an orderly universe, you test it, you test it, you test it, you keep getting the same result. Well, that, that's pretty close to a theory, right? Like gravity. Right. Walk off a building, you'll probably die. Right. Uh, but for now, right? As far now. as we know. <laughs> for now, as far as we know, exactly. And this this might seem woo-woo and this might seem crazy, but here I am and and this is my experience of life and I want to share it with you. So Right. No, and no, I appreciate that, man. Um I I I indulge in the woo-woo. Um but I, I also love that you bring up, you know, quantum physics and quantum entanglement, because I think more and more science, and especially in the realm of quantum physics, is beginning to delve into these things and unearthing some of these things that like, you know, some of the spiritual traditions have been talking about for thousands of years, right? And some of my favorite quantum physicists and scientists like, you know, Nikola Tesla, Richard Feynman, they, they talk about just how crazy the universe is and how little that we know about it and and those are people that are you know you know quote unquote respected you know phds right the, these just aren't photographed just, the black hole two days ago or something. I, yeah right like and that's and we think we know so much and it's like come like what is a black hole what's on the other side of a black hole like we have no idea what's i actually happening. looked on that and i, I have an answer oh they, do you i'd love to hear it yeah it's it's not other side there's not it's not a duality thing it's like a compression in the to a singular point Kind of like the the Big Bang came out of a single point of everything being in one place, and just, right, uh, it's like compressing everything inexorably towards that one point, and time slows down. And like, if you're caught in a black hole, it feels like a thousand years to somebody else. It'd be like nothing. Like ten seconds might pass. It's like that movie Interstellar. Okay, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like right. some stuff that goes on. So hopefully we never get sucked into a black hole. Right. Even if we did, we wouldn't know any different. It would be right. almost to be like you'd be crushed under the weight of the thing. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, that's stars and galaxies. We're not even. (laughs) And that's the thing, man. Uh, And that's something that I I do my best to remind myself, right? I struggle with it too. Somebody cuts me off in traffic and I, you know, I'd react, I get angry, you know, things go wrong in my day. Something doesn't work. Lizard monkey. Yeah, of course. Right. And so it's, we got to do our best to stay outside of that. I'm curious then, what do you think keeps people locked in that? Right. Because based on what you said, if abundance is perception, it seems like choose, you would have to choose to see that, right? And it yeah, almost seems yeah. like we, we don't necessarily, we aren't born that way, or maybe we're born that way and then we're conditioned out of it. So like, how does, how does someone shift that? How do you choose to see yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think it happens definitely for different people. You have to understand that you can't perceive the level of reality above you. You can only just perceive the level of reality at your level or below you. Right. So only the things that you've perceived before can you perceive again. And then once you make a decision to step out of that and say, okay, what if I considered another angle, you know, uh, what, what might show up is, is fascinating, but until you take new action, you won't get new results. Right. So for me, it was like, I had to go through all these journeys, mostly get guided by pain, honestly. And that's why I'm so right. grateful for pain. You know, I don't want crippling pain. I don't want to be injured. I don't want to be dead. I don't want to be, you know, but pain that didn't kill me and made me stronger. I'm right. super all about. Uh, and I'm always going through painful cycles. I just went through another one. You know, it's just, it never stops and you only get better at leveling up. If you don't level up, you don't pass the test. You stay stuck and you keep getting that same lesson again until you decide to unfuck yourself. And if you don't decide to unfuck yourself, well, you probably die miserable and alone. Right. Well, and I think that's the, I think I love that you're, you're saying that, you know, we have to experience pain because I think we're going to experience pain one way or the other, right? It's a matter of, do we choose the pain that we experience? Are we choosing to grow from that pain or are we just going to play it safe and go work the nine to five that we don't find rewarding? That's painful too. Right. And that's what I mean, right? We're, we're going like to, we're going to feel pain. Me. Right? I don't want to feel pain like one way or the other. Yeah. So for me, that's massive pain. So I'll do anything to avoid that scenario. Like right. that's horrible to me. So then there's people that my lifestyle will be horrible for them. So right. 
you know, it's all relative. Well, and I think that's important too, right? Is that whatever that abundance is for people, it's like, it's going to be different for, for each and every one of us. Yeah. I would always rather learn and grow. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, anytime life's getting hard again, I just know like, okay, what's the lesson? I'm listening. I'm listening. What's the lesson? Right. You know, I'm just going to keep doing my best here and you, you'll let me know where I'm supposed to land. And then the idea shows up, then I release and then I surrender and it shows up. Right. Oh, what if I did that? Okay. Right. What if I tried that out instead of, uh, instead of playing out the same, the same story that I've been living. Yeah, man. And, and the best thing is, is you learn things. You can help others that are going through where you were, you know, right. That's why I love coaching mentorship and masterminds is because you get, you have an opportunity to stop somebody suffering. Not that they shouldn't suffer or not that it's not, it's your place to stop their suffering, but at least get them to the lesson faster. So right. they can continue to level up. And the more people do that, the more it expands and the more people are helped and, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for everybody in my life who's just giving me a little feedback and pieces and, and, uh, you know, it's, we're all part of this woven tapestry of existence. It's really beautiful. Right. Thing. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important because like you said that we, we have to have a new perspective in order to see reality from a new way. Right. And I, I know from my own experience, it wasn't until other people said to me like, Hey man, have you tried seeing it this way? that I was like, whoa, like I never even thought that was possible, right? So it's like, we almost need those people to be able to shine that light for us. And it's, it's more, and that's why I think masterminds and coaching and, you know, community is so powerful is because it's not people telling people how they should be. They're just offering their own, like their own experience and they're shining a light on something so that those people going through whatever they're going through can, can make that decision and make that choice for themselves. Yep. hundred percent. So yeah, that's where I stand on the whole thing. And you're never going to know the answer or maybe you do when you die. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I just have to presume that it's not for us to know uh, or we would know it. Right. For sure. So what do you think is like the biggest thing that, I guess, let me back up. What do you, what do you think is one of the biggest issues that starting entrepreneurs experience? They expect it to be easy. Right. Or people make it look easy and they buy into that bullshit. It's not easy. Right. <laughs> you know, and anybody who says differently is, selling you something for sure yeah that's like uh what is the idea that the overnight buy what they want right right if i was trying to sell you a program where you worked your ass off for 10 years every single day in order to be free of your job you'd probably say no fuck that i'm not buying that program i'm gonna buy this guy's gonna make me do it in 30 days and it's full shit right might be able to give you a map in 30 days but the execution and implementation takes time Right. The skill set or the mindset or the, the capacity right now to be able to execute at that level, or you would already be executing at that level. Right. Yeah. Right. So people don't get what they are, uh, what they want. They get what they are. Right. In any moment. So wherever your vibe is at now, whatever you're vibrating at currently, whatever plane of consciousness and existence you currently resonate at is, is your reality and your surroundings. And in order to change that reality and surroundings, you have to change yourself first. Simple right. as that. That's the biggest shift is if you're not willing to change, you're fucked. You're right. where you're at. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, and I, I mean, I know that that was something for me that even when I started, it was like, because there's so many of these stories of like 30 days, you know, 60 days, 90 days, overnight success, you know, this 17 year old is making a hundred million dollars a day on uh, YouTube. I've been on on since I was 12. I'm now almost 34. So right. it's a 22 year overnight success. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> a different position. It'll be a 34 year overnight success. For sure. You know, you just, you learn little bits and you, you, you know, I'm, I, I'm having to relearn lessons. That's the most frustrating things like shit that I thought I had mastered 
years ago, I got to like come back and have that same painful lesson. I'm like, ah, I thought I figured that out already. Right. I do that myself all the time. That's annoying. But I was going to say, do we think that's anything that like goes away or do you think it's just something that like changes, right? It almost seems like the lessons that trouble us are just going to keep on shifting and evolving and coming in at new levels, right? New level, new devil. But I do believe it's all <laughs> happening for us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest shifts that I made was seeing, you know, and I have, I have a similar story to yours that in a lot of ways, it, a lot of my personal growth was triggered by a breakup that was just super traumatic for me that all of a sudden I was like, man, I can't keep going through life this way. Mm. And one of the things that my ex right before the breakup said was like, you never take responsibility for anything. And yeah. for whatever reason, up until that point in life, I had just chosen not to listen to anybody. You know what I mean? And for some reason that, that message just clicked and I finally heard it. And that was the shift that I made was like, man, life isn't happening to me. Like life is happening for me. And that was a matter of like taking responsibility for, you know, the circumstances of my life. And then, like you said earlier, recognizing that I'm a creator in whatever way you want to see that, right? If you want to talk about God or consciousness or universe, or even just saying, Hey, like I have like, you know, I can influence my surroundings and the people around me. And I, I have active choice here. Yeah. Anybody that's been alive for like 10,000 days, which, you know, is where we're at roughly, uh, is probably overcome some shit and they can overcome more shit. They just have to go after it. Like they've gone after everything else in their life. Right. Yeah, man. I love that. Um, where are you at on time? I don't want to, I know we're kind of bumping up against the 45 minutes. All right, man. One of the things that, you know, I scrolled through your website and, and one of the things that I love is that you said that you try to solve like big problems. Mm. And so I'm curious what you think some of the big problems like facing us as a society and, you know, in the future. Great are. Exactly what I think they are. Cool. Yeah. I'd love to well, hear scarcity, that. the perception thereof. Um, which is real in certain circumstances. I'm not a delusional optimist, but the fact is that there's enough food to feed the world over. Right. In fact, if we were just to reclaim half of what's wasted in the United States every day, that's enough food to feed every single human being on earth, three meals a day, 1.25 of five pounds of food. I've done the math on it's crazy to think about right. just half of the waste of the U S so there's that right. utilities. I mean, we have things coming down in price all the time. You're seeing the internet, you know, just ubiquitize everything. Um, you know, people have freaking supercomputers in their pockets that weren't, you know, that didn't exist 10 years ago and they're going to be faster and even more powerful than ever before. Um, shelter, you can 3d print a house now for four grand in 24 hours. Right. Uh, you know, shipping container housing and all these different pieces, entertainment, education. It's just ubiquitous now, you know, it's almost free if, if not very cheap. So with these next 5 billion or some odd people that are coming on the internet in the next, 10, 20 years, uh, I see a lot of opportunities to, to build a better system that can serve more people. And what I think uh, is one of the pieces that could be an economic solution is, is some sort of what I call fuse housing, right? So food, utility, shelter, and entertainment in okay. one price, driving the price down, starting with like the Tesla model at a high price point and making it you know, luxury for people who want that convenience. Right. Um, and the ability to travel and check in and check out and no minimums and stuff like that. And then just kind of porting that out to the world uh, as a more, you know, lower priced offering. And if you can drive the price down to let's say 1500 bucks a month us for all of that, now you're in the kill zone. I think that'll really spread right. like wildfire because that's where UBI is anticipated to be. If we end up in the UBI scenario. Uh, but even if not, like most people can make 1500 bucks, just, just working. Right. For sure. Pretty so, easy. I mean, cause it, it seems like one of the biggest issues then plaguing us right now 
is just perception, right? Because we have all these tools, man. I mean, nanotechnology is insane, right? Like you said, we can 3D print homes. We have the ability to grow food. Like we have so much food already. So it just seems like at a large scale. It's, it's a few pieces. It's distribution systems don't exist. Right. If they do exist. There's no incentive to drive them. Um, it's very profitable to not solve people's problems, but to you know, provide a Band-Aid right. or to solve a symptom, but not the actual core problem. And that's right. one of the issues with capitalism um, that needs to be evolved. And I'm not saying that capitalism is bad. It's gotten us to where we are, but it won't get us any further than, than probably the next 50 or so years. Right. So we have to decide, okay, what are we going to be in a world where capitalism is taken to its nth degree, where it's automation and, and robots that are you know, owned by five people that are mega billionaires or trillionaires or whatever. And, and that's it. Nobody else can compete with them uh, to provide services and goods for other people. What do you do in that scenario? Right. So, you know, I wonder what, what the future looks like. And I, I think, well, part of it is going to be decreasing the cost overall of living. So not everybody is, is forced out of homes and forced out of, you know, their living situation or can't afford to feed themselves and their families because the other scenario is pretty apocalyptic. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, are, are you hopeful for the future then? Like, I mean, are oh, you are optimistic? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, barring any major catastrophes, we're, we're on a good track here, man. Life's better than it's ever been. Right. I mean, think about being a, a Roman centurion or a legionnaire, <laughs> you know, and most people died during either childbirth if they were female right. or rape or slavery or war, uh, or, you know, most people died of illness. Like it right. was rough. Right. It was a bad time to be alive. Most people, if you live to be like past 40, you're considered ancient. Right. <laughs> right. And now it's like, man, I, I the other day I've, I've just started using DoorDash way more. Um, and it, it still blows my mind that I can press a couple buttons on my phone and somebody's bringing me food to my door and I don't even got to get up off my couch and stop, yep. you know, whatever I'm streaming. Uh, yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, man. Nobody's happy. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. That's the right. Lucy K bit, but we can be, if we just shift our perspective. Right. And so, I mean, that, that comes back to again, perception and what Without, we're trying to see. Yeah. Right? Without that uh, contrast, you don't have any perception either. You don't, if you don't know what bad is, you don't understand what good is. You know, uh, I've, been to, I've been to where bad is. I've had a shitty time in my life. I've been poor. I've been beat up. I've been bullied. I've been harassed. I've been, uh, you know, lied to, cheated on, steal, stolen from. I've had everything happen to me. Right. So I have the contrast to say like, oh, this life I have is pretty damn good. I've been to where bad is, but this isn't it. Right. Because it kind of comes back to then, you know, staying grateful for all those things that have happened to you, man, which I got to imagine is pretty hard, right? To be like, yeah. I meet kids that grew up wealthy and like live here now where I, you know, had to work to, to strive to live and this beautiful house and the ocean. It's like, I, I meet kids that are like growing up here and they don't really have contrasts like that. They don't really understand yeah. how it was for me. So I, I can't relate it to them. I just have to, you know, kind of let it be. And, you know, they don't yeah. have the baggage and the emotional trauma and shit that I had. They're just happy and it's great. And that's what we should be. Like, I don't, right. I don't think we need to continue those cycles. I'm trying to break cycles in my family for sure. For sure. Well, man, I, and the thing is too, it just seems like everybody, no matter the background is as susceptible to that as like as, as anybody is right. In terms of like not seeing things that are happy. Like I grew up in an area that was one of the richest in the country and I knew kids that had like BMWs and Audis and like I was driving my dad's like beat up old car and I was stoked. Because yeah. it was like, it was a car that they gave me. And I knew kids that had yeah, these like, like drive places in exactly. hundred years ago. It didn't exist. 
Right. Like I don't have to take the bus. I don't have to get rides anywhere. And then it was like, I knew kids that had these brand new cars that were mad that it wasn't like an M3 and that they got a lower model and they were like upset and they were hurt and they were like suffering and not happy with it. Take your kids away from me. If you give a kid an M3 for the first car. Yeah, for sure. I knew vehicle. I've driven those. They're very fast. Yeah. I knew a couple people that totaled them and then got new ones. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Truck over brand new truck to get him a brand new truck. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of adults are you raising here? Yeah, no, that was my parents were very much like, all right, if that's going to, you know, if you're going to not take care of it, then we're going to take it away from you and you're going to have to figure it out on your own. You learned. Yeah, man. Hey, I mean, now I'm I crashed uh, my first car. I was 17 years old. I'll never forget. I crashed it. I never had an accident or a ticket since. Uh, I had to go and like talk to my neighbors and work out a deal and pay 400 bucks for this whole beater. And I was driving that around. Quarter panels were dented. There's rust through the floor. Every time I went through a puddle, it spray up in my eyes. It burned more oil than gas. I got pulled over by the cops all the time because it's just so ugly looking. They were like, <laughs> guys got to be up to something. Right, for sure, yeah. Literally got pulled over probably 10 times. Never got a ticket. Just got pulled right. Over. They were like, we just need to talk to who's ever driving. Yeah, exactly. We just need to on the level here, bud. Right, and yeah. I got a nicer car eventually and it all went away. Like, right. And then, like you said, man, you get, you respect that now, right? You respect the nicer car. You respect the effort and the time that it took, man. It gives and you. Actually, I ride a scooter. I don't even have a car at the moment. I haven't had a car in five years. I either scoot locally if I need to, if I can get most places on that. And if right. I need to Uber and it's so much cheaper, like I could go buy a Tesla now for cash if I wanted to, but it's right. ridiculous to do that. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. So I'm going to start uh, wrapping up, but I'm, I'm curious, right? Um, you've done podcasts you've written blogs you've done speeches um you know you've done these masterminds and you've talked to you know thousands of people millions of people right let's say all that goes away um and that you're only allowed to say like one thing and it's like your final thing right it's your final video your final podcast your final blog whatever it is like what's the one message that you think people need to hear more than anything i think Again, in this very outlandish scenario. Uh, yeah, sorry. So, I mean, yeah, it's not a, it's not a practical <laughs> thing, right? This isn't going to happen. Uh, I think <laughs> that uh, what people need to understand is that we're all doing the best we can given all what we, understand, we know, right? Yeah. And what we know is, is different. Everybody has a different piece of the puzzle. So if we were to create this beautiful mosaic of life that we all have a piece of the puzzle of, we're all like points of light in that mosaic. And the way you make that mosaic shine bright is just by loving as much as you can. It sounds cliche, but it's really true. It's like you give love every time you act in service and every time you put somebody else's needs in front of your own for that moment. And what you get in return is usually more than you give away, especially in an aggregate. So stop focusing on the one thing and start focusing on the overall, how much love are you putting out? And that is how much love you can expect to return and more. Yeah, man. I, I love that perspective and I really love it coming from you. Um, I think it's really cool that, you know, you've managed to blend these seemingly disparate from, you know, f- um, disparate f- like paradigms, right? Because coming from like a, a Wall Street finance guy and, and really bringing in like a, a heart-centered, you know, value-driven entrepreneurship. Um, I really appreciate that about you, man. And I, I just want to say thank you for sharing that message. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate you having me on the show, brother. Yeah, man. Final Thanks question for you. I got, I got a, one final question for you. What is, what is one book that you think everybody should read? Everybody should read. My favorite book of all time 
is God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater by Kurt Vonnegut. Ooh, okay. And why? Because it's very much what I discussed. It's like there's a guy named Mr. Rosewater who just wants to love on people and the whole world tries to tear him down, but he just keeps loving on people. Radical, man. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a solid place to end that uh, we should all just be out there uh, loving on everybody. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. I really appreciate your time, man. It, it really does. It means a lot to me. Absolutely. Radical, man. So, I- Thank you for listening to this episode of the Aligned Influence Podcast. This is your host, Kyle Bowe. Please head to kylebowe.com forward slash gift to download your free copy of my new ebook, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. Again, that's K Y L E B O W E.com forward slash gift for my new ebook on five small steps you can use in your life right now to begin creating big changes. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, live on purpose.